This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, 13 through 21 this morning. Father, we are so very thankful for you. For your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for your strength and help in every way. We thank you and we praise you that you've given us your word. But above all things that you've given us your beloved son and your Holy Spirit. We praise you. We praise you for all that we've been given and we ask and we look to you now to give us what is truly rich, what is truly good, what is truly needed. And that is the truth of your word. Open it to us and bless us for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here's our text, beginning at verse 13, where it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, our culture today is obsessively focused on being happier, healthier, better, smarter, faster, sexier, more popular, more productive, more envied, more admired, and on and on it goes. We are on a never-ending quest of being perfect, having a model for a spouse, two and a half kids that perfectly obey, and a helicopter to take us to a wonderfully fulfilling job where we spend our days doing incredibly meaningful work, which is probably going to completely change the world. And the reason we chase after this stuff is because deep down we believe it will give us what we are missing, what we're longing for, what it is we're looking for. We believe the good life lies at the end of that rainbow. And so we chase it, because that's where the gold's at, right? Well, this is exactly what this man in our text believed as well. He believed the good life lied just ahead if he could ever just get that inheritance. But he found himself being reoriented by Jesus. Almost, I guess, in a sense, smacked up alongside the head by Jesus. Because Jesus makes it clear that this stuff and the stuff in this world and the stuff that you can possess never brings true life, ever. But before he got to that point, actually, he made it. He made it clear that 
He certainly didn't come to make sure that we get what we think we deserve. I have the, this text here this morning that I want us to look at in verse 13 and 14 where he says, Teacher, tell him, well, someone in the crowd said to him, we don't know who it was, right? This someone. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus clearly states that he did not come to decide who would get what in an inheritance battle. Yet that is what this man thought Jesus could do for him. He clearly saw that Jesus, A, had power. B, he had the respect of the people. C, he had tremendous authority. He also saw that he would give people what they asked for. He made the connection. He saw someone who wasn't able to walk would ask him to walk, and bam, they would walk. Someone would ask him to receive their sight, and bam, they would receive their sight. Someone would ask them to be free from their demons, and bam, they'd be free from their demons. And not only that, but perhaps this man heard Jesus say, as he did say, ask and you shall receive. Right? You have not because you ask not. Well, he probably thought to himself, why not? Why not? This inheritance is what rightly belongs to me. After all, it's an inheritance. It's what happens. Why not ask for it? But Jesus sets him straight because Jesus knows his heart. He tells him that he's definitely not what he came to do. Let me help you understand that me coming to sort out an inheritance dispute, hello, this is not why I came. My mission and purpose is over here, and what you're asking me to do is over here. Diametrically opposed. No, sorry, that's not, not why I'm here. However, there's a connection. And the connection of what Jesus came to do, as we're going to see, is actually it's, it's what came, where this came from, out of his heart, and what was really going on. But often I think we're the same way. We expect God to do for us what we think we deserve. We think often as Christians that life is all about God being, being on our side and being with us. And what, can, what do we conclude? God is on our side and God is with us. That means God will bless us. God will prosper us. And this is why often we, have tr- we struggle and have, have, have a difficult time with suffering. We have a difficult time when hardship comes. It's almost like, God, how could you be with me? How could you say you want to bless me? How could you, I be your child and, and then you do this? I've been working so hard my whole life. I've been working so hard, working, doing so much, and then this is what you give me? Or we think that we've been, you know, we have been really doing well. Lord, I've been doing so good. (laughs) And when my kids do good, I try to bless them. That's kind of how it works. Do good and I'll do good to you. But I've been doing so good and it doesn't seem like the good's coming. Isn't this what I deserve, Lord? And then when this happens, we get in the state where we begin to think, you know, this does does not congruent with what I think I deserve. You know, this man rightfully thought this inheritance was coming to him. It rightfully belonged to him. And it wasn't coming to him. 
And now easily he can say, would you please step in and, and solve my problem? But that's what we do as well. We want God to please solve my problem. And when he doesn't, we grumble and we complain. And we ask God, why? Why, God? Why have you done this to me? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Because in our minds, we can't fathom how anything but the best life now could be good for us. It's hard for us to understand the connection between pain and blessing. But if you do think in your life, many of the best things you have, many of the best things that happened in your life came through pain, came through, came through hardship, came through struggle. And I think we could all testify to this. Have you ever have experiences in your life where you look back, and it's always looking back. It's always the rearview mirror that tells you this. But it was at the time you went through the particular hardship and you hated it, didn't you? But then when you went through it and you're looking back on the other side and you reflect upon it, you sometimes think, that was the best thing that ever happened to me, honestly. Ever happened to me. It made me who I am today and I wouldn't change it for anything. If you had that experience, you know and you understand that it isn't what it seems on the surface. On the surface, the pain, the sorrow, the struggle, the difficulty comes or the tension comes and we think we want God to fix it. We want it different. God, where are you? Why aren't you blessing me? And he's saying, hold on, I am. This is how his kingdom works. It's paradoxical. You want to grow? You want to mature? You really want true and good blessings? Well, then hold on, they will come. Here we constantly caught, caught in the trap of thinking that having more things out here, having a better life out here, is going to give us what we're really looking for in here. That's a lie. It just is not true. Jesus needs to set us straight, and he does. And he teaches, if we look at this, what he, how he responds next in verse 15. Life never comes through what we possess. He says, and he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know, Jesus did not come to this earth to be an arbitrator, as he said, so we can get some inheritance money. He came to bring life and to rescue his people from sin and death. This is why quickly, Jesus quickly points out the real issue here. And he turns to warn the crowd. You notice, look at what he says here. This man, this particular man from the crowd, asked him the question. And now Jesus said to them. He doesn't just say to him, notice. He says to them. Take care and be on your guard. He realizes what this man manifested out of his heart to everyone is actually a very common theme in the hearts of people. And what does he say? He says, you're to be careful and be on your guard against all covetousness. Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Which is the same thing as saying, one's life does not come from the abundance of his possessions. What Jesus is doing here is getting at the heart of the issue. Jesus knows that this man is looking for something that he thinks is going to give him life. 
And what Jesus means here by life is the fullness, the fullness of joy and acceptance and fulfillment and glory overflowing at the center of our being. Jesus uses the word life, and when Jesus uses it, he, he understands that the, your life and what you're looking for in life, the life you're looking for to this man, he says, what you're looking, what this is coming out, this is coming out of the center of your being, out of your heart, the lusting of your heart, thinking that if you have possessions, you will have life. But he says, life does not come from possessions. Where does it come from? Well, what did Jesus say in John 10.10? I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. So Jesus says, this is, this is really, now let's get at the heart of the issue. I did not come to be an arbitrator. I came to give life. And what I see in your heart is a manifestation of a man desiring to find life, but he thinks his life is found in his possessions. If I only had, right? And we don't even realize it, but when we feel in our hearts a desire to please or to be loved or to be accepted or to be fulfilled, or to be glorified, or to be respected, or to be honored. What we're looking for is what Jesus calls life. We're looking for fulfillment in here, for it to be overflowing, to, be, to have all this experience of joy and peace and contentment and fulfillment and honor and glory. Jesus knows that at the root of all our issues, at the root of all our covetousness, at the root of all our desiring, at the root of us going after possessions is what? A hunger and a pursuit for fullness of life. Yet was this man deceived? Of course he was. Greatly deceived. Why was he deceived? Because he thought life was found in the abundance of his possessions. And this is why Jesus told the story he did in verses 6 through, 16 through 19, which I have next, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And then I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Clearly, you can see that as he tells this story, that this man's concern is with possessing. He thinks that if I just need more, I get more, I'll have more. Possessing and possessing until when? He wants to possess until he gets to what point? So he can eat, drink, and be merry. Just relax, be retired. Right? It was his idea of the good life. What's your idea of the good life? If I was to ask you, what's the good life? That's it, right there, right? Having your barns overflowing, having to build other barns. You've got not a worry in, in the world, nothing concerning you, and you have everything, and now I can eat, drink, relax, and be merry. Well, it's interesting how we dream about the same kind of things often, don't we? Have you, uh, don't lie. Have you dreamt? Well, maybe this isn't your dream, but some of you, maybe it's your dream. Lying on a beach somewhere in your hammock with your cocktail and your umbrella and this drink, 
Weather's perfect. The breeze is delightful. You're there with your favorite people and just chillaxing. Now there, now if I start, start to think of what does the good life look like, right? Amid, it, what it's, what it's, uh, it's possessing stuff, it's possessing things, or maybe your dream's a little different. Maybe it it's, has a house and a car and a boat and a, you know, all this stuff on a particular, in a particular place and location and setting and people. And you start, and, and think about what does these dreams consist of? Possessing things, stuff. Because we think, I think if you were to describe for me the good life, what would it be? If you, if, the moment I ask you that, I'll guarantee you would go right towards things and stuff. If we, would you, anybody say, what is, tell me, describe for me the most ideal life. You say, my soul bursting with joy and goodness and peace and fullness, just completely contented, and I don't care where I'm at. You think, I've never heard of that dream before. Hmm. I mean, I get the old internal thing, but where's the goods, man? It is interesting how we dream. We think that if we had, we would be satisfied. And here's why, I think. This is why I think we get duped. Because... We, we have had things before, and it felt really good when we got them. However, what we failed to remember is that they always had a short, short shelf life to them. So when we got the new car, it felt great. It smelled good. It looked good. It drove good. And it just felt being in it. It felt good being in it. it you could feel the power. Woo, power was nice. Everything worked good. And we, we quickly remember that sensation, that feeling. I got this possession, and, and man, that was good. However, something happened. By the end of the week or by the end of the month, all that started to fade away. The car started to get a little dirty. Kids spilt a milkshake in the back, and now it's beginning to stink. <laughs> You've gotten used to the power. It's no longer novel. The greatness of, his, of how it drives is now just normal, and you've somehow forgotten. And now what you start thinking about, man, my neighbor's got this really nice car. Like, it's like this is so sweet it's got it all dialed in. It's all nicely painted. It's never dirty. The thing's just mint. And you're looking at that. Boy, man, it'd be nice to have that. Because what we do is we have, we have this memory for pleasure, the things that bring some pleasure. But we don't remember how short the shelf life was. And it's like that with any, everything we get, the possessions, the things we possess. Like if I said, boy, if I could give you, how much money could I give you right now and you'd be really happy? And he said, well, it's like, let's start off with at least a mil, right? Okay, bam, you've got it. Are you, yeah, I'm jacked, I'm pumped. Of course you are, we all would be. And we remember that high, we got adrenaline pumping, we can do so many things, we start thinking of all the stuff we could possess and do and, and where, you know, what we could do with this stuff, and it gets us jacked up. 
And we remember that. But it isn't long, ask anybody who's ever had a lot of money, and it isn't long, and you actually have the burden of money. Now you actually have to guard it, protect it, defend it, grow it, um, invest it. Try to figure out who's your friend and who's not your friend. Because now you've got a bunch of new friends that you're wondering if they're really friends. All this stuff comes with it. And then, and then what happens when you get used to it? It, it is a great idea. I didn't have it. To think of having it was great. But now you have it. And I've had it for a while now. And it's okay. Now I'm used to what it feels like. And it's like having it. Now I get used to this. This is the new thing. And now what? Well, man, now I'm starting to think of other things. And this is what we do. We think it, happiness. We think joy. We think true fullness of life will come from the things we possess. And we're tricked. And we're tricked. And we're tricked over and over again. And Jesus says the fullness of life, life itself does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. He reveals that life only comes through a life lived in the truth. Here's what he says in response to the story in verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, actually, I don't know why it says, but God said to him. I think I put that in there. (laughs) when I was transferring this, I think something happened. Yeah, I was like, wait a second, where did that come from? But it's Jesus talking here, but he said to him. Is that what it says? Does it say but God? Oh, that's right, it's part of the parable. For some reason, this looked, I looked, I'm like, oh man, it's like, Jesus is talking here, but it's yes, it's part of the parable, you're right. So this guy comes before God, and God said to him, forget everything I said. (laughs) This is, this is right on the money. I'm the fool. So this night your soul is required of you, and the things you prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this rich fool, he dies. And he, all that he thought would bring him life is gone. And all he has is his naked soul before God. And Jesus basically asks at this point, who who will, will all these riches belong to? To which is the obvious answer? Not him. <laughs> Jesus, like he doesn't answer it, but he asks it, like who will these riches belong to? Who will they be? Whose will they be? They won't be yours. They'll be gone. You won't possess them. And then he now has to eternity to contend with, where he'll be naked as a newborn mouse. <laughs> Stripped of all that he'd been given and blessed because he thought that in them he found life, and he finds that in them there is no life. It just ultimately ends up bringing death. And that's the thing, that's the nature of all sin. It always presents itself as tasty, good, delightful, and fulfilling. That's kind of the, that's what, that's the presentation up front. But once you eat it and you swallow it, it's death in your stomach. It's awful. 
That's, every one of us will testify. That's when the guilt and the shame comes. That's when the disgust comes. That's when the awfulness comes. It's after we've pursued something that we thought was going to bring us life and we found that it brings us death. This is the fool's choice, really. Because if you think about it, what Jesus is trying to help him see and understand here is like being offered a million dollars today. I've used an analogy like this before, similar to this. Being offered a million dollars today, but you have 10 years to live or being offered riches untold for eternity but you won't get it for 80 it's the fool's choice to take the one mill for 10 years and forfeit eternity And basically what Jesus is saying is that if you understand this the eternal perspective on one hand you'll realize that that was a fool's choice so invest wisely At the end of the day, he says, you fool. It's a fool's choice. You fool. Because how do you know that maybe maybe today, maybe tonight, is the day or the hour which you will be stripped of them and then you'll be before God? At that point, he's just saying, choose wisely. That's a bad investment. It's a bad thing to invest in. But beyond choosing wisely, wisely, there's more to this than simple riches on earth in heaven. Because fundamentally, riches are not where life comes from. So whether it's riches for eternity or riches now, if we think that like you want what you want are ri- true riches, the riches of God, what you want is true life, abundance and full life. It's not like, man, it, it, to think that life itself comes from the possession of things, and what I'd rather have is the possession of things for eternity than possession of things for a few years. And so what I'll do is I'll I'll invest in the possessions for eternity. Yes, that's a wise choice if that's what you're doing. Invest in eternity, absolutely, if you're to choose. However, don't think that, oh, that's that's where life comes from. I'll wait for that because that was when the good life... The good life starts not because you have possessions, but, but because you possess Jesus. And a soul is in communion and union with Jesus. As Jesus said in verse 15 of the same passage, life does not come from the external things we possess. And it doesn't matter if they're temporary or eternal. It should never be the chasing of things and stuff and possessions that we think will give us what we're longing for. It's like those who, who, who think that they're so in love with the, the gifts of God and not so much in love with God. You don't understand. It's God who gives life and fullness of life. And if you have him, you have all things. It's much better to be filled with riches than to have riches. Filled with them. Know them. Feel the joy and the love and the peace and the goodness and the fullness of God. And so it's life overflowing. And this is what Jesus came to bring. Jesus came to bring true life. Yet there's longing in our, longings in our heart continually, even right now, that we don't like to admit. And we don't admit them because we're ashamed that we have them. And as, as a result, because this is happening in our hearts, you know what happens with so many of us? We play the if-then game. Right now, so many Christians, I believe, are completely discontent and not satisfied with who they are, where they are, and what they possess. But they don't want, it's not, it's not cool to go around and tell everybody that in the Christian world. Hey guys, I'm not content. 
what God has given me? <laughs> Let me tell you what I really want. That doesn't, that's not what the church is full of. We're, people are smiling, praising the Lord, all is good, God is good, I love Him. You know, everything's, I'm content, I'm happy, because we know there's this pressure where joy and life and peace, where is it found? It's found in Jesus. So we say that, we know that's the right answer, and we know there's kind of an expectation. That's why the forced manifestation a lot of times of the smiling and everything's great. I got nothing to confess. Because we, we, we want to be accepted. What's really going on in our hearts, though, is a lot of longing. Because you ask yourself this, do you have the if-then scenario going on in your heart? If I only had the inheritance, then life would be good. If I could only get that promotion, then everything would come together. If I was only a little better looking, then so much would come my way. If I was only a little thinner, then I'd feel so much better about myself. If, if, if I was to have your acceptance, if I just was accepted, and, and I had your approval, or I had your respect, or, or I had your honor, or if I had... You validate me somehow. Tell me that, yes, Dean, you are the stuff. Oh, thanks, I needed that. We think if, if, that's, if we have that going on, if, is there any if-then in your life? If you were to look at your life right now and you were to look at the life of your soul and the contentedness of your soul, and the joy of your soul, and the fulfillment in your soul, and the contentedness. If you're to look there, do you got if-thens going on? Or is it joy and life overflowing? Say, no, I'm really, really content. I am incredibly thankful. I am so grateful. And man, man, life is good. But man, you don't have much. It doesn't matter. Life is good. You know, any time we get into if-then, you know, it should be going off in your brain, off in your heart, off in your soul. Whoop, 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 whoop. Bad, wrong, dumb. That's a lie. Recognize it for what it is. It's a lie. Life does not come through the things I possess. I could have all the money in the world and I would not then have life. I would have a I would be jacked up and pumped and incredibly excited for a a short period of time. And then I'd get used to it. Jesus reveals to us that there are only two things that can bring fullness of life. And this this is actually in John 15. I want us to see this. It was read for us this morning. One is receiving the love of Jesus, and the other is giving the love of Jesus. Jesus said this in John 5, 9, 15, 9, sorry. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, listen here, these things I've spoken to you, why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
So there you have it. Jesus says this to his disciples in order that their joy may be full. Life to the fullest. And this is the one, the one-two knockout punch to true living. If you want to know life, if you want to know fullness of joy, here it is. This is where it's found. In verse 9, Jesus says that he loves you. Notice he says, I love you. I have loved you. And, uh, and he says to abide in that love. And then he says that we're to keep his commandments. So there's two parts here. He says, here's the thing. I have loved you. First thing you have to understand, you are loved. And what's the second part? Obey my, obey my commands to abide in that love, right? Well, what's his commands? It's one. Love one another. Not just that, love as I have loved you. So here's, this is why it's so important. This fundamentally, we have got to get this. We have got to understand, do you want fullness of life? Do you want to experience fullness of joy? Here's the first thing that must happen. You must rest in, you must delight in, you must know that you are loved. You know, one of the fundamental problems that we have is that we're always questioning and doubting. We're wanting love and acceptance. Love and acceptance is kind of a huge fundamental issue to the human soul. But Jesus wants us to, he says, here's the thing, fullness of joy will come when not just when you, how many of you know, you know, you've all heard that God loves you. Jesus loves you, right? You've heard it thousands of times. But here's the fundamental question, do you believe it? Could you sit here this morning and say, I know that I am loved and accepted by the Lord. He loves me. He's accepted me. He's, he delights in me. He is mine and I am his. The Lord loves me. If that's issues at, in question at all, if there's any question there, it will affect your joy. That issue right there has got to be resolutely solved. Are you accepted? You say, absolutely, I am accepted in the beloved, in Jesus. That is a fact, my friends. That is what you call truth. Now, here's what we do. We often listen to our feelings. Let me see. Do I feel loved? Accepted. Not really. That's irrelevant. Because feelings come from believing. Like, if I'm doubting or questioning whether or not God loves me, yeah, you're not going to feel too loved and accepted. You have to be firm and stand upon the truth. And when you, when you stand upon the truth of this, no, I am loved. I am loved and I am accepted because I'm in Jesus. Jesus has loved me. That has got to go deep down in your soul and become a person who gets that whole issue dealt with. And so you're contentedly loved. You know you're loved. You know you're accepted. And so you stop trying to find love and acceptance in all the wrong places with people, through relationships, by having things and then what other people think of you and then what other people say of you and trying to get it from all the wrong places. These places can never give you the love that you need. Only Jesus can. So you've got to get settled on that issue. And the second issue is this. There's people who are settled on the first, but they've failed on the second. They're, yeah, totally. They're almost like it's Yonsville. Totally. Yeah, God loves me. Absolutely. Got that nailed. Accepts me. But then you look at their life and you couldn't imagine more complacency. The second part is missing and that's why the joy is missing. 
And what's that, Dean? You're not loving as you've been loved. And this is sometimes where Christians, like, they think that, like, they, if they have the love of God, they believe, yeah, oh, yeah, that first part, Dean, I got it nailed. And then you look at their lives, and what are you doing? How are you loving other people around you in your world? Jesus says, if you want to abide in this love, what does he say you have to do? Obey my command. What's my command? That you love others as you've been loved. And this is why sometimes even the, the, the life in our soul shrivels up. Because, we, yeah, we might, be, we might be grounded and secure on our understanding of the love of Christ, and we know that he loves us, knows that he accepts us. But we're like the Dead Sea. There's no outlet. We don't express that love. We go around, maybe we just go around life just doing our own thing, minding our own business. We just stay out of trouble. We just, we just put one foot in front of the other, and we just putter through life. But you realize that as soon as there's a human in front of you, you can love. And one of, some of the greatest love you can give people is your attention, your time, your interest. You know, sometimes we think about love and we just think of it terms in physical terms, like giving them something, more of the possessions thing. But how about giving them something? Like even a sense of, if you look at someone's eyes and you look at someone, when's the last time you looked at someone and you desired and you want to love them in a, in a very tangible way? And maybe they need a hug and you give them a hug. They need that. Or maybe they need some encouragement and you give them some encouragement. Or maybe they need to be built up in some way. Or maybe they need the promise of God and you share something that God's doing in your life. When you look at a person and you seek to love them, now love is going out. And the craziest thing is when you love people and the more zealously you love them, it's like the more you get filled up. The, the, more, the more you give out, the more you get in. Now, I'm just not talking about, I mean, all of us can exhaust ourselves physically. We can do things where, but here's the difference. You can be exhausted physically and full spiritually because you did it out of love. This is a tricky part. The whole loving and acting and doing things for people Here's how quickly the motives can shift. If we do it to impress, we do it to get acceptance, we do it for others to notice, we do it for these reasons, we find that it doesn't do anything for us because we haven't got number one settled yet. Your love and your acceptance, don't try to find it in others. That's got to be settled in Jesus. Jesus loves me. Jesus accepts me. I, 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 am, I am in the beloved now, that's the only way that you can truly love in a non-manipulative way. You will then not turn to people and try to get something from them. You're able to give something to them. Because in that case, there's two people. I could come up to you and I could say, hey, how's it going? And I could just be trying to encourage you or, or show you love. And I could be doing that to try to get you to accept me or like me. And that's, a, that's an empty soul wanting. And that always kind of comes through a bit. Or I could come to you and I could do the same stuff, but I just truly, I want to bless you because I've been so blessed. I want to give you to you because I've been so given to. I want, I want you, I want to serve you because I have been so served. And so this is why this is the one-two punch, the knockout punch to living life to the fullest. Is there's, you have got to, on the one hand, number one, you've got to be settled in the love of God for you. You got to sit here this morning and you got to be at the place where you're like, man, the Lord loves me. The Lord accepts me. 
I am accepted in Jesus. And this has got to be something that's settled. And then number two, you can't just, like the Dead Sea, receive. He loves you, and he wants you to love as you've been loved. And that's how you abide in his love. And that's how your joy becomes full, is by doing both of those. That's where true life is found. True life. So, we all here this morning are at different places in our life. And some of you, maybe your souls are parched dry, and some of you are bubbling over. Or some of you are right in between. I'm telling you, if you want life and fullness of life, that's what you need to do. You have to realize that it's in Jesus. That you've got to know the love of Jesus and express the love of Jesus to others. And then there, therein lies the good life. Therein lies the, the possession that transforms life. Then it doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. It's all good. You know, I just want to share in closing something I've been doing the last two weeks. I've really encouraged you guys to do in the morning, capture those mornings, because I think your morning determines your day. To get those mornings before you go and run off, to you get your mind and your heart right and good and get your heart, heart and your mind set on the truth of who God is, who you are in Christ, and how this world works. Get that right. Get number one right, as I've been saying here, the love of God, right? And then you watch how it will transform the rest of your days, your day. And I can personally testify, I've been doing this myself, being much more conscious effort of doing something a little different. Not just I get up, not I've always read my Bible and, and prayed, but been very specific about grounding myself in who God is and who I am in Christ. And I've been saying things, and this is the thing, just affirming the truth. This is what truth, this is what I confess, and this is what I profess. My God will never leave me nor forsake me. God, you are always with me. You go behind me and before me. You are with me. And I am loved by you. I am accepted by you because I am in Christ Jesus, your son. You know, affirming that truth, and I don't care, I don't look at how I feel, like say, do I feel this? No, I don't even ask the question. It's what I affirm in the morning. This is what's true. God is on his throne. I'm his child, and this world and everything in it belongs to him, and he works it out according to his plan. And to affirm that, to confess that, to boldly profess it, and to set your heart on that, that guides me throughout the day and has made a tremendous difference in my day. Tremendous difference. Now, my joy level has gone significantly up because I've set my heart and my mind on the truth of who God is, who I am in Christ, and how this whole world works. And it reorients me. So let me ask you, do you want this kind of fullness of life and joy? If you do, that's what you have to do as well. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you above all things for Jesus and the life and the spirit. We know that in him we have fullness of life. I'm just so grateful and thankful that we have been brought to life and given life in Christ. And I pray for every person here this morning, and I don't know exactly where their hearts are at, but you do, Lord. You know what's going on in each person's life right now. And I ask, oh Lord, that you would stir them that you would convince them, that they would, they would believe and plant themselves upon the truth of who they are in Christ. That they would know, these people would know that they are loved and accepted and that they would go from there and that they would love as they've been loved and give themselves 
and service and love to others. Oh, Lord, make this a reality in all of our lives, for we pray this in Jesus. Amen.